Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Spernova's Interview Series, an audio program exploring the intersection between cutting-edge business strategies and the innovations that can ignite business growth. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Stranova's Interview Series. Those of us in the strategic innovation business, and yes, that includes my guess all of you out there listening, produce unique creative works on a regular basis. These creative works, of course, have varying degrees of value, and we in turn have various intentions for how we'd like to see our creations distributed and used by others. If you're in the product business, one standard way to protect ideas in many countries around the world has, of course, been to patent the key ideas within our products. And if you're a big-name author like Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code, you use various forms of U.S. and international copyright protection to keep others from copying and distributing your creations to others in any form, whether distributed for free or for money. Similarly, a combination of both forms of protection, patent and copyright, has been used to protect the illegal distribution of software. In our modern world of photocopying, internet distribution, open source software, and even podcasting, just as you're listening now, the old ways of protecting one's ideas seem overly restrictive, making it very difficult to share creative works you indeed want to share for free with a large audience without effectively giving up your rights to protect the integrity of your work. As a simple example, let's take this podcast you're listening to. We at Stranova absolutely offer the original form of the podcast, downloadable from the Internet and distributed via the various free distribution services out there, such as Yahoo's podcast service, Apple's iTunes, and Podnova, for example, with the intention that you can legally make a copy of the podcast to play on your computer, burn it on a CD in its original form, and even share it with others with just a few ground rules. We want the material to stay intact without editing of any kind. We want it distributed without charge to others. And we want it to always be attributed back to us at Stranova. As an even more complicated example, let's consider the open source software movement of the last decade, with one of the biggest public successes being the distribution of the operating system Linux. A guiding principle behind this was that powerful free software could be distributed intact, be readily modifiable under certain rules by others, and then redistributed in modified form under similar license. There was still the desire to protect the original works as well as to control the unauthorized commercial distribution of what someone originally intended for free. Without all these elements, quite frankly, the open source software movement would have run into a brick wall. In the second domain of software, fortunately, the Free Software Foundation created the new general public license called the new GPL, that's GNU, by the way, describing how others could distribute, modify, and redistribute so-called open source software products. And the rest, as they say, is history, for with this has come many incredible collaborations. As just one example many of you already know and may in fact use yourself, WordPress, 
the open source blogging software that dominates so much of the blogs out there, including being the engine that drives our own blog, is licensed under a new GPL agreement. As a further example, Stranova's own incredible web host, Lunar Pages, even offers for free auto-install versions of the following open source software products. WordPress, the e-commerce shopping cart packages CubeCart, OS Commerce, and ZenCart, the Joomla content management software that drives magazine-style pages, and even both online network project management software and online signable guest books, all offered for free. So much for the software side. Unfortunately, until recently, there was no such solution covering the world of text, audio, and video. Until a company called Creative Commons stepped in to bring some order out of the chaos of modern copyright law applied to these other kinds of creative works. Creative Commons originally came into being in 2001 with strong financial support of the Center for the Public Domain and strong human power from fellows and students at Harvard Law School's Berkman Center for Internet and Society and the Stanford Law School Center for Internet and Society. As Creative Commons speaks about itself on its own website at www.creativecommons.org, quote, we use private rights to create public goods creative works set free for certain uses, end quote. They go on further to say, quote, we work to offer creators a best of both worlds way to protect their works while encouraging certain uses of them to declare some rights reserved, end quote. Creative Commons has created a set of licenses available for all of us to use for free that does just that for this new world of widely distributed, free, creative works of new media that are now rapidly spreading around the world via the Internet and other approaches. To tell us more about them and the story of how Creative Commons came about, we are pleased to have Mike Linksfire, the Chief Technology Officer of Creative Commons, as our guest this week. He has over 10 years' experience as an enterprise software, web, multimedia developer and consultant and joined Creative Commons as CTO in 2003. We spoke with him at the Creative Commons offices in San Francisco. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us on Sternova. Thanks a lot. I'm delighted to be here. Obvious first question, perhaps, for our listeners. What is Creative Commons and what services does it offer? Creative Commons is a nonprofit organization that offers flexible copyright licenses for creative works, and I will break that down a little bit. One way to think of Creative Commons, if you're familiar with open source software, is that it's a suite of legal tools that enable open source for books, film, music, photography, education, or culture generally. The scope of legal permissions that and restrictions that the licenses allow for are broader than open source licenses allow for. However, both schemes are built on copyright. And in terms of the specific tools, they're legal tool. You can think of a Creative Commons offering several layers of tools. The kind of foundation are the licenses that I just talked about. And they specifically allow a creator to give away some rights to their work but reserve other rights. So some rights reserved is sometimes used as our tagline. So things like you can require attribution. So if somebody else uses your work, they have to give you credit. You can allow for or prohibit commercial use. So you can say, you know, you can take my music and share it with your friends, but you can't sell it. You can allow derivative works or not that 
means can people change your work. So you can say only distribute my work verbatim, or you can say, you know, go ahead and remix my work, do interesting stuff with it. And then there's a tweak on that that we call share alike that means that if you make a derivative work, you have to license it under the exact same license, which is inspired by the GPL called Copyleft in the open source world or the free software world. This is kind of a good segue into more concrete descriptions. So say you're somebody who has created a song and then we post to the internet and you want to legally enable your fans to remix your work, then what you would do in concrete terms is go to the creativecommons.org website, click publish, and then you would come to a page that asks you a series of questions about what rights you want to allow your fans to take advantage of. Let's say you want to allow non-commercial remixes, then you would select no to the do you want to allow commercial use question, and you would select yes to the do you want to allow derivative works question, and you would get a license called attribution non-commercial, so a license that prohibits commercial use but allows derivative use. And then if you are a user, you could come to the Creative Commons.org homepage and click find, and you could use one of the search engines that consumes the machine-readable code that comes with Creative Commons licenses and, and find a song or whatever you're looking for that you want to reuse in some fashion. Also have a machine-readable version of the licenses, which enables things like search engines to discover works based on the license properties associated with the work. So, for instance, show me a picture of a flower that I can use commercially. And then we also have human-readable versions of the licenses so that if you as a user discover, say, an image of a, of a rose, of a flower that has a CC license attached to it, you can see the terms kind of expressed as icons in short sentences so you don't have to actually read the legalese. And then we also have done that for 23 plus languages, and so you can read it, you know, if you speak any of the major languages. And then also are working with legal institutions around the world to take into account nuances in copyright law around the world. And we've done that with 32 jurisdictions so far. There are many kind of overlapping layers to what Creative Commons does, but it's all kind of fundamentally about enabling creators to take advantage of the technologies of cooperation and sharing, but in a legally sound and clear way for both the creators and users of creative material, who are often the same, is one of the points. In that context that you just talked about, which is a very good explanation of it, one of the things that certainly is true is that many of our listeners are familiar with the copyright laws in their own countries. And they might say, well, so why should I go and use Creative Commons licenses instead of what I'm already familiar with? What does it offer them that they really should be paying attention to in terms of flexibility of licensing their work or otherwise? Well, there are users in two categories, although they, you might fall into both categories. First, for idealistic reasons, you might want to use a CC license way of describing that is uh, you want to cast a virtual vote for reasonable copyright. So the kind of the most powerful way you can send a message that you think that copyright ought to be more flexible than it is or it's moving in the wrong direction is to actually 
give users more rights than default copyright allows, and that's exactly what a CC license does, and we give you a very visible, very clear way of expressing that. Then there are many kind of pragmatic reasons for using a, a CC license. One is simply that when you publish information on the Internet or elsewhere, oftentimes the biggest threat is not kind of not getting paid. It's not getting read at all or listened to, for example. So by telling your users, I'm giving you the legal right to share and perhaps remix, you're simultaneously encouraging them to actually do so. You're also kind of saying, I respect you as a user because by publishing information on the Internet, you won't kind of want them to share, to spread that information. But if you don't use a CC license, then you're basically asking them to break the law because, in fact, default copyright doesn't let them copy that information and redistribute it. So you can think of it as respecting your users, encouraging your fans. If you're sending a message that you actually want to be found, shared, reused, it's legally sound. And then also the technical tools we've built on top of the licenses kind of add further value. If you want your content to be reused and distributed, then you want it to be found via Creative Commons enabled search engines, which include Google and Yahoo. So if, let's say you just want to tell your user, you've published a song and you put some text on your website that says, hey, fans of my band, please send this MP3 to your friends. Well, that's great as far as it goes. And people who come to your website are going to see that sentence and maybe they'll take advantage of it even though they're technically breaking the law. But why not take advantage of the technical infrastructure that we've built up such that somebody using a search engine can find your song that way as well. Your role at Creative Commons is as the Chief Technology Officer. And curious, in a company that's dedicated to legal matters, what exactly is the role of a CTO for this kind of enterprise? I'd say the role is basically twofold. There's our internal software development, managing that and planning it. So we have, including myself, five people who are paid to write code for Creative Commons. Several of them have other duties as well. But And then we have a number of contractors that we use and open source developers as well. And that's, I guess, a good segue into the other part of it, which is I, I would loosely call business development and technology evangelism. So that's kind of everything from talking to companies like Google and Yahoo and Microsoft and encouraging them to build Creative Commons into the infrastructure of their products to talking to individual open source developers and developers at these companies to try to evangelize our, our technical infrastructure to them. I guess just kind of stepping back for a second in terms of what the overall goals of technology at Creative Commons are, and those are kind of the end goals of the CTO position, I guess, are one would be to make Creative Commons licensing an option wherever content is created or published, and the other would be to make discovering Creative Commons content an option wherever content is consumed or searched for. Have you been successful in getting any of the biggies, you know, like Microsoft and all, to begin to consider this in their enterprise? Yes, we have had some success. I think the three kind of big company successes note are Yahoo, Google, and Microsoft. 
in that order have done interesting stuff using Creative Commons. Yahoo was the first major search engine to index the portion of the web that they believe is CC licensed and then provide an interface for searching only that portion of the web. So when their web crawler crawls the web and they, they'll look for the machine readable component of the CC license, if they see it, then they'll remember that. And then they have an interface then that enables you to only search the pages that have been marked with the CC license. And you can go to their advanced search page and click on, for example, only show me search results that allow commercial use. And Google, probably about six months after Yahoo enabled the exact same thing. The interface looks a little bit different, but it's also on their advanced search page. Actually, you can go to creativecommons.org slash find and you'll get an interface that allows you to use Google Yahoo or Flickr also, which is also a Yahoo property now, although they supported Creative Commons before that. And then Microsoft most recently built a plugin for Microsoft Office, so Word, Excel, and Point that lets you use, actually uses the Creative Commons web service, lets you choose a license for the document you're working on and apply that license to the document. Certainly you've come quite a ways. I'm interested because I know that Creative Commons is not that old. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of how the venture came into being in the first place and maybe some of the background about how the original founder, you, and some of the others came together to make this happen? Creative Commons as an organization has been around since 2001 and the licenses and website services were launched to the public December 2002. So there was about a year of legal research actually building the website etc. It was founded by a Stanford professor, uh, Lawrence Lessig, as well as public domain book publisher, Eric Eldred, and MIT computer science professor, Hal Abelson. And the motivation for it was that, and Lawrence Lessig has written about this extensively and spoken about it extensively in books and public fora, but basically copyright is becoming more and more ubiquitous and more aggressive more restrictive. One symptom of that, or one expression of that is copyright terms keep on lengthening. Kind of the cliche, but it's a true cliche, is that whenever Mickey Mouse is in danger of going to the public domain, the copyright term is extended. So basically nothing is falling into the public domain. There were attempts to challenge copyright extensions in court. There are things other than copyright extensions that are kind of increasing the strength of copyright. So. The basic idea behind Creative Commons was let's provide a voluntary mechanism for offer people more choice and allow people to both express their desire for a more reasonable copyright, but also take advantage of the new technologies of collaboration enabled by the internet and digital technologies uh, without the transaction costs associated with traditional copyright. And that, again, kind of gets back to the idealistic pragmatic split I was talking about before. So 2001, the legal and initial technical work was done. And I actually joined a few months after the Creative Commons.org site was launched and the licenses were launched. I joined in April 2003. And I got involved directly because a startup I had done before Creative Commons employed 
Matt Howley for a while. He's a famous web designer who runs Metafilter and a bunch of other sites. And they were looking for somebody to take over the kind of technical lead position. My educational background is in economics, and I've been in software since. I'm extremely interested in both kind of the economics of intellectual property and the startup I did was actually related to peer-to-peer -peer and metadata. So Creative Commons kind of brings many of my interests together in one bundle. Well, it's a great connection in terms of your background as well as even how this all came to pass. Now, one next thing that I wanted to ask about was, you know, unlike traditional copyright licenses, which although they have some international characteristics, they're still very nationalistic oriented, you've been attempting to prepare a license that truly transcend national boundaries. Now, that in itself seems like an amazing achievement even on its own. How does that work, and how do you go about propagating your concept throughout the world? There are a few tacks we take. One is to actually port what we call the legal code, or licenses themselves, to jurisdictions around the world. So for that part of the process, we typically work with law schools in different countries. It's not always law schools. Sometimes it's technical institutes. Uh, two examples. Finland, Finland is either the first or second jurisdiction we actually launched with. We're working with the Helsinki Institute for Information Technology. And another one in Malaysia, we're working with the Multimedia Development Corporation, which runs their multimedia corridor initiative to kind of recreate Silicon Valley in, in Malaysia. Many of the other ones are law schools. And then another component is, I mentioned the human readable versions of the licenses before, and that is to actually take key parts of the website and translate them so that not only English-speaking humans can read the licenses and the simple explanations of them and, the, and choose a license in their own language. We actually have 23 plus languages if you count the kind of national variations on several of the major languages. And then after the legal and linguistic translation is done. We have an effort called iCommons, which is focused on building communities in different countries and also networking communities who are interested in Creative Commons so they can help each other. A most recent example of that effort is we had a summit in Rio de Janeiro in late June that brought together representatives from 49 different countries who have been working with Creative Commons in different capacities to share experiences and have some face time to collaborate on projects explicitly aimed at spreading Creative Commons license content and explaining the licenses in different national contexts. Let me then take that another step further because I know the international side of this was at least part of one example that we talked about briefly before this interview, and that is that one important part of any legal innovation is to see how it stands up at court. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how these new licenses have been tested in the courts, either in the United States or other countries, and how have they fared? There are only two court cases so far, and they're both in Europe, and they're both fairly recent. Actually, we'd like to think that the licenses are so legally sound that it'll be that typical disputes won't be taken to courts because the outcome will be fairly obvious. But anyway, the two cases that have made it to court and there's been a decision reached, are one is in the Netherlands involving the podcaster Adam Curry, although this didn't involve 
podcast, and he had published a photo on Flickr under Creative Commons license that did not permit um, commercial use. And the photo was used in a tabloid in the Netherlands where he lives. And the conversation between them did not go well, so he took them to court, and the judge ruled that, in fact, the CC license did govern the terms that the tabloid was allowed to use the photo, and in fact, they did not cover the use that the tabloid did use. So the use was not covered by the CC license, and Curry won that case. The other case was in Spain, probably a little bit more of a niche issue for most listeners, but basically it involved a restaurateur playing CC licensed music, and one of the collecting societies in Spain wanted him to pay fees for playing the music, and he didn't want to because it was CC licensed, allowing commercial use. And he was able to demonstrate this to the judge and, in fact, won the case because he was showed that he was actually taking advantage of the, the rights granted by the license. I guess those two cases are kind of interesting because one shows a content creator's content being misused under the terms of the license, and he was able, and he won that case. And the other the case in Spain is the case of a content user using content under the terms of the license and being protected because the user was, in fact, falling under the terms granted by the license. Let me take this a step further. You mentioned, of course, that Adam Curry was not dealing with podcasting, but besides the fact that this particular thing is a podcast and podcasting, photo sharing, and all kinds of things like that are becoming far more popular. I know many of our listeners are wondering how they can protect themselves in this area, perhaps using Creative Commons licenses. Could you tell us a little bit about how Creative Commons is addressing some of these new media areas? First thing I'd mention is that we actually developed in association with a couple other groups a podcasting legal guide. And the easiest way to find that is just to enter podcasting legal guide into a search engine that covers many different situations for licensing podcasts and using licensed material within podcasts and what you can and cannot do. In general, the way we're addressing these kinds of issues is to add clarity. So when you use a Creative Commons license, although people often phrase it in terms of by using Creative Commons license, you're protecting your content. Actually, you're not adding any more protection than you get with default copyright. Many people don't understand copyright, period. So what you are doing is making what you want done very explicit. So attribution is one example. If you use a CC license, they all require attribution. Now, you're explicitly saying that if you use this content, you have to give me attribution, and that can include a link back to my site. Another frequently used attribute is non-commercial. So you're explicitly saying, if you're using a license that prohibits commercial use, then you're explicitly saying, you can use this content, but you can't slap ads all over it, for example, or you can't sell it. So basically what you're doing is adding clarity, whereas if you just kind of publish something on the Internet and don't tell people what they can and cannot do with it, even though copyright doesn't allow them to do anything with it, basically, apart from fair use, a lot of times people don't understand that. And having a CC license that explicitly tells people what they can and cannot do makes people think about that in a way that they normally wouldn't. Next question is 
perhaps also an obvious one, but a lot of people might wonder, and that is how does Creative Commons pay for what it does? Who are its funders and how are you doing in getting the support you need for this work? We've been pretty generously funded by foundations, initially by the Center for the Public Domain, which was a foundation started by Bob Young, a founder of Red Hat. And we've also gotten generous grants from the Hewlett Foundation and MacArthur Foundation and smaller contributions from the Media Art Network, which is the founder of eBay's organization, Open Society, Rockefeller, and smaller contributions from Google, Microsoft, other corporations. We've gotten generous in-kind help from various law firms. And then last year, late in the year, we did a public fundraiser Yes, that's where we get the money to run. Another question then that besides the money side, which I know that anyone who can contribute, they would certainly welcome the funds. What are some of the current challenges and areas of focus for Creative Commons right now? One of the big ones is integration into applications. So as I mentioned, one of the kind of overarching goals for technology and Creative Commons is make CC licensing a ubiquitous option in content creation and publishing apps. And that is an ongoing challenge. The Microsoft Office plugin was a, kind of a, a key example of what we want to happen kind of over and over again in content creation and publishing applications. And another challenge is what I call discovery. There's, for example, hundreds of thousands of CC licensed MP3s out there, but you know most of them are not getting commercial airplay, but some of them are really fantastic music. So we're very interested in working with people who are doing things like collaborative filtering, both automated collaborative filtering and also manual collaborative filtering, which is one way to think about what podcasters and bloggers are doing. They're playing or talking about linking to the kinds of things that they really like and due to network effects, sometimes really good stuff rises to the top in an organic fashion. So we want to see that happen even more with CC license content. And there, there are several good kind of podcasts focusing on CC music and many others that play CC music, but much more of that, or kind of feeding that and making that happen more is, is a challenge. And then another challenge is business models. I think it's been nearly two years ago now, Business 2.0, the magazine wrote, a story on Creative Commons and some businesses using Creative Commons called Giving Away for Fun and Profits, and they predicted that eventually it would lead to a new multi-billion dollar industry. So we're in the early stages of that, but we have many companies like Magnitude who are exploring kind of using Creative Commons and coupling that with offering commercial licensing so for the content that they publish under Creative Commons non-commercial. License. There, there are a bunch of other businesses doing kind of exploring similar models like Rever for video, Lulu for books. So basically making Creative Commons licensing sustainable for artists and publishers is another ongoing challenge. If someone wanted to learn more about Creative Commons or perhaps even connect directly with you, where should they go for more information? You can send an email to me at ml at creativecommons.org, but generally the place to go is the Creative Commons homepage, which you can go to creativecommons.org or just search for Creative Commons in any search engine and you will get there. And you can click on 
publish to experiment with our license choosing process. You can experiment with what kind of license you might want to use for your content, or click on Find to find content that you can reuse that people have already licensed. We also have movies and lots of explanatory text. If you happen to be a software developer especially, you might want to go to our wiki, wiki.creativecommons.org, which has documentation for all of our technical initiatives. Excellent, Mike. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure that our guests do. And please do check out the Creative Commons website and drop Mike a line if you have a question. Well, Mike, thanks very much for joining us on Stranova. Thank you very much. It was awesome. Some strategic innovations, such as the one you just heard about from Creative Commons, seem so straightforward, so logical, even obvious after they come into being. But what some forget is that it always takes a unique combination of circumstance, creativity, and personal will to make something this important happen. The need for Creative Commons creation came about out of the increasing chaos of attempting to apply conventional copyright law to the problem of distributing creative works in an age where mass distribution for free, in quotes, was becoming easier, and yet people still need and want to retain some rights to their valued creations. We at Sternova believe so strongly in the importance of Creative Commons work that, effective with this particular audio program, we are changing the way we claim protection to our podcasts from copyright 2006 to protected by Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. As the short summary on their website says, this license, quote, allows others to download your works and share them with others as long as they mention you and link back to you but they can't change them in any way or use them commercially, end quote. Yes, there's a bit of legalese that backs this up that we cited on our About Us page, and that in turn links back to Creative Commons, but it's pretty straightforward and makes far more sense than a conventional copyright for this kind of work. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Legal work and licenses that are already changing the world and offered to us for free, and with a result that we are only just beginning to understand as invaluable. That's our show for this week, and thanks for listening. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.